Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and more importantly, welcome back, Giants fans, to another episode of the Say Hey Podcast, the podcast that is home to all things Giants baseball. Folks, before we dive into today's show, I would like to take a moment to let you know that you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, then don't be afraid to subscribe. And if you really like the show, then make sure to leave a review. But most importantly, make sure to spread the word. With that being said, let's dive right in. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Say Hey Podcast. You are officially listening to episode 23. I'm your host today, James Donahue, as I am for every show. Folks, hopefully you enjoyed last week's episode where we sat down with Sean Anderson, relief pitcher of the Giants. And hopefully the interview gave you a little bit of insight of who he is as a person. And of course, hopefully you're able to enjoy it. And hopefully you're able to enjoy this episode as well. Folks, for today's show... In the spirit of off-season moves, trades, signings, acquisitions, I decided to break down the best trades in Giants history and the worst trades in Giants history. Now, to be fair, a lot of the trades that I'm going to be bringing up throughout this episode occurred in the past during the trade deadline, which normally occurs around the All-Star break or right after the All-Star break during a regular season. But I honestly couldn't help myself considering the fact that there are plenty of reports that are currently coming out of the Giants organization, especially from Farhan Zaidi himself, president of baseball operations, that there are going to be a lot of moves happening in this offseason. And not just a lot of moves, but big moves as well. And before we get into the rest of the show, folks, first I would like to mention that episode 19 of the Say Hey podcast lays out some signings that I predicted or at least hoped that the Giants would make during this offseason. So if you want to go back and listen to that after you listen to this episode, episode 23, that would be greatly appreciated. All right, let's get right into it. News and notes from around our team. So I'm not sure if you guys were aware, but Brandon Belt was Surprise! Well, not surprisingly, but it was very exciting to hear that he was up for a Golden Glove Award. He was nominated this year. Unfortunately, he did not get that award. Boo. Something that was was surprising, however, to hear was the fact that Yaz was not nominated. So whatever, I'm not bitter. Moving on. Some other news having to do with our team. Having to do with Kevin Gosman specifically. The Giants have officially offered him a qualifying offer. So what does that mean? Great question. So I'm going to go ahead and do my best to explain that as simple as possible. So the qualifying offer is around $18.9 million, and it's a one-year deal. Teams can offer it to any player on their team. You most likely see it offered to players, big-time players, big-name players on someone's team that are entering free agency. So the Giants have offered the qualifying offer to Kevin Gosman. Now, the th- another thing about the qualifying offer is that If Kevin Gosman was to decline this offer, if he fails to sign this one-year $18.9 million, that's fine. But if another team signs Kevin Gosman, that means, so say, like, just for the sake of argument, the Dodgers went out and signed Kevin Gosman. 
That means that we get the Dodgers' first-round pick of next year's draft, which means we'll have our own first-round pick and the Dodgers' first-round pick because we offered him the qualifying offer. Now, this only happens with qualifying offers. Also, just to quickly clarify, I 100% do not expect the Dodgers to sign Kevin Gosman. It was just a team for the sake of explanation. All right, hopefully that was explanatory enough. So, just a quick recap. The Giants have offered Kevin Gosman the qualifying offer. If he declines the offer, that's fine. But if another team signs him, then we lose Kevin Gosman, but we get that team, whoever signed him, their first-round pick in next year's draft. So, this is what I think might happen. If Kevin Gosman does end up signing that one-year deal, great. We have him for one-year deal, but here's the thing. Not only Kevin Gosman, but the Giants organization as well. They want to come together mutually. They've both expressed this. The organization and Gosman have expressed that they want to work out a multi-year deal. So I suspect the reason why the Giants did this was to send a message to the rest of the league. No team wants to give up their first round pick in next year's draft, which means Kevin Gosman will be hard pressed to find an offer from any other team because the team will have to give up their first round pick. With that being said, Kevin Gosman does want to sign a long-term multi-year deal with the Giants. So the only reason why the Giants offered him that qualifying offer is to send a message to everyone else that you, in order to get him, not only will you have to pay big, but you're going to have to give up your first round draft pick for him. That's how much we like him. So honestly, Kevin Gosman has till November 11th so to accept or decline this qualifying offer. So what I think is happening right now, I think Gosman's team, whether it be his agent or who else is in his team, and the Giants are currently talking right now trying to work out a multi-year deal. I suspect that Kevin Gosman will reject this, but that doesn't mean, oh God, we're not going to be able to sign him. No, no, no. The Giants had to offer him that, like I said, qualifying offer to send that message to other teams, but just because he declines that doesn't mean we're not going to sign him. So I suspect Gosman to actually opt out of that offer, decline that offer, and then I suspect the Giants and Gosman to work through maybe a four-year, maybe even mm, maybe even a five-year deal, but definitely a three- to four-year deal range. All right, straightforward enough, hopefully. All right, let's start with the worst trades in Giants history. I only have a handful. I think I have five or six worst trades and five or six best trades in history as well. All right, here we go. First trade that I thought was probably one of the worst in Giants history. It's actually really recent. It was outfield Brian Reynolds. He was one of our prospects for Andrew McCutcheon. Now in January of 2018, the Giants traded one of their top prospects in Brian Reynolds and also Kyle Crick to the Pirates for the former face of the Pirates franchise, Andrew McCutcheon. Here's why the trade was not ideal. First off, at the time of the trade, McCutcheon was at the ripe young age of 31 years old and the Giants were by no means in a position to take on a big contract from a nine-year veteran who is exiting his prime years. To his defense, however, McCutcheon did supply some of the power that helped establish himself as one of the most elite players earlier on in his career when he had 15 home runs and 130 games for the Giants, which also led the team, but the 255 batting average was nothing to brag about, in my opinion. Especially if we look at how well Brian Reynolds performed the following year when he produced a 314 batting average and also hit 16 home runs during his rookie season for the Pirates. 
I can maybe understand this move if the Giants were one of the top teams in the NL trying to make a strong playoff push and needed, you know, to supply some power and veteran experience to their lineup. But as you probably very well know, the Giants finished second to last place in the division that year and 18 and a half games out of first place. And to make matters even worse... The Giants actually traded McCutcheon to the Yankees the same season they acquired him and were unable to get any value back in return, thus leaving the Giants pretty much empty-handed when it came to this transaction. All right, moving on to another trade that didn't necessarily work out in the Giants' favor. That's right, the infamous Zach Wheeler for Carlos Beltran. Now, I will say, yes, in hindsight, this trade did not end up going well for the Giants organization, but I honestly don't think it's as bad as people think it is. Because first off, 2011, the year that the trade occurred, was also the year Buster Posey sustained his infamous leg injury that prevented him from coming back the rest of the season. The Giants had just lost a huge bat in their lineup and were already stacked in their rotation considering the fact that Tim Lincecum, Matt Cain, and Ryan Vogelson all made the All-Star team that year. And not to mention, Madison Bumgarner had the highest ERA amongst the four of 3.84. That's right. Tim Lincecum had an ERA of 3.04, Matt Cain 2.92, and Vogelson 2.10 ERA. Our pitching was stacked. Also, the Giants were in first place in the division and held the lead by four games. If there was a perfect time to make a move for a possible repeat, it was absolutely this time. Another reason why I don't think this trade was as bad as people think is because people honestly forget how well Beltran played once he came to San Francisco. In 44 games played in a Giants uniform, Beltran produced a 3-2-3 batting average, hit 7 home runs, and 18 RBIs. Again, I really don't understand why I hear people say, yeah, we traded for Beltran and then he didn't really do anything, blah, blah, blah. Because I mean, it really confuses me because the pace he was on in a Giants uniform set him up to reach 26 home runs and collect almost 200 hits over the course of a full-length season. Maybe it's because he had 20 home runs in a Mets uniform before the All-Star break, so people expected the same when he came to San Francisco, but ultimately that was impossible because, you know, the funny thing about baseball is that they always talk about how the All-Star break and the All-Star game is kind of like the middle point, but that's just not true. The fact of the matter is that there are more games played in the first half than there are the second half, so... In order for him to repeat his first half numbers, it was almost impossible. So, so yes, I honestly kind of get confused when people just completely forget about how well he played, Beltran that is, when he was wearing a Giants uniform. However, I think I speak for everyone when I say that we would have all loved to see the Giants sign Beltran to some kind of deal the following year, but maybe the Giants didn't want to cash in on a player who was going to be 35 years old the following year. Again, yes, it sucks that we lost both players out of it, but hey, you know what? We didn't need Beltron because we all know the Giants would go on to win two more World Series without him. All right, you might want to grab your barf bags for this next breakdown of this trade. This is by far one of the worst trades, not only in the history of Major League Baseball, but also most definitely in the history of the Giants franchise. And that's going to be Luis Castillo for Casey McGee. Now, this, is, this really stings my heart every time I hear or read this piece of history. 
So before we dive into what transpired in this trade, first, for those of you who do not know who Luis Castillo is, last year, the all-star pitcher for the Reds produced a 15-8 record and an ERA of 3.40 while striking out 226 batters and 190 innings pitched. He's by far one of the most electric pitchers, not just in all of baseball, but especially in the National League. And what truly makes this trade so painful is that we traded him away for the legendary Casey McGee. McGee, McGee, I don't care anymore. And by legendary, I'm talking about how legendary it is that he somehow hit into more double plays than RBIs produced. The Giants were trying to fill their hole they had at third base after Pablo signed that massive and meaningless contract with the Red Sox. And for some reason, someone in the front office thought the right guy to go after was Casey McGee. You know, these are the moments in life as a fantasy baseball player where I think to myself, guys, please hire me. I can help you. I know I don't have the years and years of experience of working in a front office, but my God, I could have told you not to go after this guy. And guys, I I wish this was a joke. I honestly do. But in 2014, the year prior they went out and traded for Casey McGeehee, McGee led the entire league in hitting into double plays, and somebody still thought it was a good idea to get this guy. I honestly have no idea what was going on that day in the meeting, but it sure wasn't the right thing. You honestly cannot make this stuff up. Anyways, to no surprise, after McGee, the legend, arrived in San Francisco, he of course produced an underwhelming 213 batting average, and then was de- designated for assignment on June 30th. Then, once we dropped him, 10 days later, the Marlins went out and re-signed him to a one-year deal. The whole thing honestly gives me a massive headache to think about, especially since the Giants had Mad Duffy sitting on the bench all along, and they didn't even know it. Man, I feel like I had to check in with you guys after that one. Sometimes the history definitely gets you heated, but you just gotta move on. Alright, moving on to the next horrible trade. Joe Nathan and Francisco Liriano, and another prospect for A.J. Pruszynski. Now, I must admit, when this trade occurred, I wasn't quite at the age when I cared about front office moves the Giants made. No, at nine years old, I was waiting on two things when I watched the Giants. When is Barry going to hit the ball into the water again, and when is Ray Durham going to hit into the next double play? However... Now that I'm well-educated and well-versed with baseball knowledge, I can now see that this might possibly be the worst trade in franchise history. Now, all three names involved in this trade should be recognizable, but I absolutely understand if you only recognize two of them. That's right, Joe Nathan and A.J. Pruszynski. But if you don't know who Francisco Liriano is, well, the best way I can describe him is that he somehow made a 14-year career by being your average three or four starter in a rotation who you can definitely depend on going five or six innings, but you can also count on him giving up two or three runs a game. He wasn't the best pitcher I've ever seen, but the man was decent, and even sometimes you could even use the word good, especially during his three years in Pittsburgh during the latter half of his career. During that time, he averaged a 3.26 ERA and also averaged 181 strikeouts in 170 innings pitched. But that doesn't actually illustrate the fact that he actually recorded 205 strikeouts his last year in Pittsburgh. Anyways, the obvious headliner the Giants gave up in this deal was Joe Nathan. And the year after they traded him away, not only did he make his first All-Star appearance, but he also recorded 44 saves for Minnesota. Then, Nathan would go on to make the All-Star game five more times in his career and record a total of 377 saves, ranking him eighth all-time in saves. 
That's right, everybody. We traded away a Hall of Famer. But not only that, we did it for a one-year rental. A.J. Brzezinski was good the year before, hitting 11 home runs, 74 RBIs, and producing a 312 average. I personally don't believe that screams must-need player on my roster, but the Giants front office felt differently, of course. Then the following year, when he was playing for the Giants uniform, he matched the number of home runs he hit the year prior and RBIs, but his average tanked to 272. But at this point, are we even surprised? I didn't think so. All right, moving on to the next trade that was not a favorable one, and that is Adam Duvall and another top prospect for Mike Leak. Fun fact, I was actually at the game Adam Duvall hit his first career home run, and it was when he was on the Giants. But anyways, this is not about me. This is about how the Giants screwed up another trade. Adam Duvall was a young, very strong hitter in our system. Once the Giants traded him to the Reds, he went on to produce back-to-back 30 home run seasons, with one of those seasons earning him a spot on the All-Star team. And what about Mike Leake? Well, first off, let me just say that I kind of understand where the front office's head was at when it came to this move. Leading up to the trade, Leake's last four starts were simply dominating. He only gave up two earned runs over his last 30 innings pitched while collecting 21 strikeouts, and the dude was 27 years old. So if things worked out the way we were hoping it would, maybe the Giants could actually sign the young starter to a long-term deal at the end of the year. But, of course... Things did not go according to plan because Leak would go on to produce an ERA of 4.07 in a Giants uniform, which isn't the worst ERA, I will admit, but it definitely was not something worth holding on to, thus leaving the Giants empty-handed yet again. All right, this is the last trade I'm going to talk about that was not a favorable one, and it's pretty legendary, mainly because of the people that were involved, and that's going to be Matt Duffy, Lucius Fox, and Michael Santos for Matt Moore. I think I would honestly be more upset about this trade if the pieces that were shipped off to Tampa Bay ended up panning out in a big way. However, that just wasn't the case. Matt Duffy was absolutely phenomenal for the Giants. In 2015, the man produced a 295 batting average, 12 home runs, 77 RBIs, 28 doubles, and 169 total hits. Again, this is the year that we traded for Casey McGeehee. Anyways, moving on. That type of performance warranted him second place in Rookie of the Year voting. However, in 2016, the production didn't quite carry over the same way. He was on pace to reach around 10 or 11 home runs again, but his batting average took a huge hit. It dropped all the way down to 253. Now, I'm not saying that's why the Giants traded him, but there was something that the organization and the front office saw that we didn't, obviously, because if you look at his career after the Giants, he almost completely faded out of baseball altogether. Once he landed in Tampa Bay the year he was traded, he still couldn't figure out how to get his batting average up to 300. But a very important factor here to highlight, Duffy did have an Achilles injury right before the Giants traded him, and the injury pretty much stuck around for the rest of 2016 and all of 2017 when he needed surgery on his Achilles. But Duffy did make a comeback in 2018, producing a 294 batting average for the Rays and was a finalist for Comeback Player of the Year. Yes, go Duffy. But then he sustained another injury to his hamstring this time and has since been cut from the Rays, the Rangers, and now the Yankees on November 2nd, actually, pretty recently, making him a free agent. I would love for the Giants to somehow sweep him up again, bring him back, pull a Ryan Vogelson. We'll talk about that later. You'll understand that reference further on in the episode. As for other pieces, Lucius Fox 
was a prospect with a lot of hype in our system when he was with us, but has since failed to pan out. The Rays actually just recently traded Fox to the Royals for Brett Phillips, who was obviously a contributor to their postseason run in 2020. But the reports I've read about Fox talk about how he has definitely gifted physical skills necessary to succeed. It just hasn't panned out for him yet. As for Michael Santos... I have no idea who that guy is, and I honestly don't think we're ever going to hear about him ever again in baseball. So, what about Mount Moore, the piece that we got in this trade in 2016? Well, to be honest, as I already mentioned, the Giants needed starting pitching help since they were getting prepared to make another push for the playoffs in 2016, which is exactly what happened. After getting past the Mets for the wildcard game, the Giants had to take on the Chicago Cubs in the NLDS, and Matt Moore delivered an absolute gem of a start. Eight innings, only surrendering two runs while striking out 10 Cubs batters. The Giants would go on to lose the game, unfortunately, and ultimately lose the series. But for the most part, you're happy with the type of performance that Matt Moore was able to produce. Of course, 2017 is a completely different story. But all I'll say is Moore, Matt Moore, that is, finished the 2017 season with a 6-15 record with a 5.52 ERA, and that was also the end of Moore's time in San Francisco. Yuck. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Let's get into the good trades, the best trades in history, the trades that paid off the most for us in the end. And of course, what better way than to start it off with a throwback? That's right. Freddy Sanchez, acquired from the Pittsburgh Pirates. In 2009, the Giants traded for the three-time All-Star and NL batting title winner in 2006 when he hit 344. Needless to say, the Giants knew exactly what they were getting when they traded their number four prospect in the system, Tim Alderson. That's right, I have no idea who he is either, don't worry. Who was also ranked as, a, as the 45 prospect in the top 100 for Freddy Sanchez. Sanchez hit 284 in 25 games for the Giants in 2009, which was fortunately enough for the organization to go out and sign him to a two-year deal in 2010. In response, the 32-year-old produced a 292 batting average in 111 games in 2010 and went 14 for 47 with four doubles and three RBIs in the NLCS and World Series combined. And three of those four doubles came in Game 1 of the World Series against Cliff Lee. As for the rest of his career, the injuries he sustained in 2011 only allowed him to play 60 games for the rest of the season, which ended up being his final season in the big leagues. But his contributions to 2010, which helped the Giants win their first World Series in 56 years, was absolutely enough to make that trade worth it. As for Tim Alderson, he never made it to the big leagues, and the highest level he ever reached was AAA. Moving on to another favorable trade for the Giants. Melky Cabrera for Jonathan Sanchez. During the offseason of 2011, the Giants traded Jonathan Sanchez to the Kansas City Royals for Melky Cabrera. And this was by far one of the biggest steals the Giants were able to get away with in team history. Considering the year prior, Melky collected 200 hits, 18 home runs, 87 RBIs, and 20 stolen bases while all producing a 305 batting average. This was also an easy move for the Royals since they were looking to improve their pitching rotation while also expecting the arrival of young center field stud Lorenzo Cain. Then in 2012, Melky Cabrera had a bit of a slow start to the season, but in the month of May, he surpassed Willie Mays for the record of most hits in that month. Then the next night surpassed Randy Wynn for the most hits in any month. 
with 51. Cabrera ended up making the All-Star team that year and also became the All-Star game MVP after going 2-3 and three with a two-run homer. This type of performance was setting up nicely to become an early MVP candidate. But, unfortunately, as we all know, on August 15th, Melky would get caught for the use of PEDs and was suspended 50 games without pay. His suspension was concluded while the Giants were in the postseason. However, the team decided to shut down Cabrera for the, the remainder of the postseason and revert him to the restricted list, thus ending his career as a Giant. But he did receive a 2012 World Series ring for the contributions he supplied to the team's regular season success. In hindsight... I absolutely do this trade over again, especially if you look back at how poor Jonathan Sanchez performed once he left the Giants. In 2012, Sanchez made 12 starts for the Royals, and in, in those starts, he produced a 1-6 record with a 7.76 ERA, which led to Sanchez being traded for Jeremy Guthrie four months after the start of the 2012 season. Yes, the use of steroids does put a damper on the whole situation, but honestly... Melky helped us get to the playoffs in 2012. He played three-fourths of the season, and he produced in a big way. So as I already mentioned, I would do this trade over again. All right, moving on to one of the biggest trades and trades that were a trade that we're still benefiting from in a big way, and that's right, Mike Yastrzemski getting traded to the Giants from the Orioles. I mean, I won't spend too much time on this trade because we all know why this was such a fantastic transaction for the Giants organization, but on March... 23rd, 2019, the Giants acquired Mike Yastrzemski in a trade for pitcher Tyler Erb. Yaz might arg arguably be Farhan's greatest find because before coming to the Giants, Yaz had spent eight years in the minors. As soon as he came to the Giants, the reasons were obvious for why the team wanted to go out and get him. In 2019, Yaz hit 21 home runs as a rookie. And of course, after what we saw from this year in 2020, his rookie performance was surely no fluke. As for Tyler Erb, again, another name I have no idea who that is. The 28-year-old went 8-10 with a 5.82 ERA last season between the Orioles, AA, and AAA affiliates. In AAA, he had a 7.16 ERA, and opponents hit 333 off him. I think it's safe to say that this trade was by far one of the best steals in Giants history. All right, another trade that's also a throwback, even more of a throwback than Freddy Sanchez, and that's J.T. Snow from the California Angels. That's what their name was way back when. Now, this is more for the distinguished listeners of the podcast, but this is also one of my favorite trades in Giants history because J.T. was one of my favorite players to watch when I was really young. After the 1996 season, the Giants traded pitching prospects Alan Watson and Fausto Macy for Snow, and he would go on to play nine seasons for the Orange and Black. But also, for the first four seasons with the Giants, Snow won a gold glove in each of those four seasons and averaged 22 home runs, 94 RBIs, and a batting average of .273 during those four seasons. And of course, let's not forget the infamous pinch hit three-run home run he hit in the bottom of the ninth to tie the game in the 2000 NLDS against the New York Mets. The two prospects the Giants traded did not amount to anything that was worth missing, which of course ultimately always makes a trade even sweeter. 
Moving on to another trade that brings back postseason memories. That's right, Javier Lopez from the Pittsburgh Pirates. In 2010, Giants traded away John Bowker and Joe Martinez for the lefty specialist Javier Lopez. Once Lopez joined the Giants, the core four was complete, which consisted of relief pitchers Jeremy Affelt, Santiago Casilla, Sergio Romo, and Lopez, of course. Javier Lopez would go on to record a 1.42 ERA and 27 appearances in the final two months of the 2010 season, then went on to only surrender one hit and one run in five and two-thirds innings, spanning nine postseason appearances. But of course... The success did not stop there. Javier Lopez proceeded to give the Giants six more strong seasons and help the Giants acquire two more World Series championships. And since we're on the topic of World Series championships, let's talk about one of the best Giants postseason performances in history. And that's going to be from Marco Scudero when the Giants traded away Charlie Culberson to the Rockies in order to get Scudero. In July 2012, the Giants made multiple moves at the trade deadline, and one of those being the acquisition of Marco Scudero for the young infield prospect Charlie Culberson. Scudero produced a batting average of .362 during the regular season in a Giants uniform and became an absolute star in the postseason. After suffering a lethal slide from Matt Holliday of the St. Louis Cardinals during the Game 2 of the NLCS 2012, Scudero would come back and go 14 for 28, which equated to a 500 batting average, and won the NLCS MVP award. But of course, the most memorable moment of Scudero's tenure in a Giants uniform might definitely be his celebration in the rain after Game 7 of the NLCS. And not to mention, Scudero manned the second base position during 2013 as well, and also made an all-star appearance that year. But in 2014, Scudero would be shut down after five games because of major back surgery, and unfortunately would not return to baseball after that, leaving the second base position for Joe Panic to fill, and we all know what happens after that. All right, for this next trade that proved to be beneficial in Giants history, I'm going to be going back a few years again, and that's going to be Jason Schmidt from the Pirates being traded to the Giants for Ryan Vogelsong. An obvious reason why I bring up this trade is because of the success Schmidt was able to find in a Giants uniform, but also, I also bring this up because Ryan Vogelsong was a piece used in this to get Schmidt, which of course only makes Vogelsong's story so much sweeter when you look at the success he found much later in his career as a Giant. On July 30th, 2001, Schmidt came to San Francisco and completely elevated his game once he arrived here. He went 78-37 and 37 with a 3.36 ERA in six seasons, making three all-star teams and twice finishing in the top four in Cy Young voting. Schmidt had an ERA of 2.34 in 2003 and finished second in Cy Young voting to Dodgers closer Eric Gagne. During his time in a Giants uniform, Jason Schmidt was by far one of the most dominating pitchers, not only in the league, but especially in the National League. All right, everybody, if you are still sticking around listening, I just want to take this time to thank you for doing so. We have two more trades to break down, and for this next trade, I'm going to be going back even farther than Freddie Sanchez, even farther than Jason Schmidt, and I think even farther than JT Snow. Yes, that's right. That's going to be the infamous trade of when the Giants traded Matt Williams away for Jeff Kent. At the time of this trade, this was probably the most controversial move Brian Sabian had ever made in his career as a GM. 
Considering up to this point in his career, Matt Williams had made four All-Star appearances and won three Silver Slugger awards and finished in the top six in MVP voting three times, including 1994 when he finished second in voting when he hit 43 home runs and 96 RBIs. He was the people's guy. In fact, it became so controversial that Sabian actually had to address the fans in a statement to the media saying, quote, I'm not an idiot. To his credit, the Giants did receive another MVP caliber player, and Kent in fact won the award in 2002 when he hit 33 home runs, 125 RBIs, while producing a 334 batting average. During his six amazing years at San Francisco, Kent averaged 41 doubles, 29 home runs, 115 RBIs, and a batting average of 297 every year, and made three All-Star appearances while also winning an MVP award. So then you might be asking yourself, how come a player with such an elite talent only played for six years for the Giants? Well, the best way I can describe the situation to you would be referring to Kobe and Shaq's situation for the Lakers. Kobe and Shaq did not get along during their time in L.A., so in order for the team chemistry to remain sane and civil, the team would have to choose one, and they ended up choosing Kobe. The same thing happened in San Francisco when the Giants chose Barry Bonds instead of Jeff Kent. It was no secret that the two All-Stars did not enjoy each other's company, and because of that, the Giants ended up choosing Barry Bonds for, of course, obvious reasons. All right, for our last trade that benefited the Giants, it's going to be the one that sent Hunter Pence from the Phillies to San Francisco. On July 31st, 2012, the Giants traded Nate Shearholz, Tommy Joseph, and Seth Rosen to the Phillies for one of the most memorable players in Giants history, Hunter Pence. Although Pence did not hit much once he arrived in San Francisco in 2012, there is no doubt that his presence had an immediate effect in the clubhouse and contributed to the World Series victory in 2012. However, in 2013, Pence made quite the impact with his bat when he hit 27 home runs, 99 RBIs, and stole 22 bases and produced a 283 batting average and then reached 20 home runs again and the All-Star game in 2014 and ultimately helped the Giants reach the playoffs and eventually claiming another World Series win. We all know how this story goes, and we also know that if the opportunity presented itself again, trading for Pence is absolutely a no-brainer every single time. All right, folks, that is going to be all for today's show. If you are still currently listening, thank you so much for doing so. Thank you for sticking around for this long. I don't normally do shows that last 30 minutes, 35 minutes, but hey, you know what? There's a lot of things that have happened in Giants history, and I just want them to be recognized. Folks, as the offseason goes on, I will be making it my duty to inform you of all the things that are going on Giants during the offseason in order to help you stay informed for the 2021 season. Folks, you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined. But if you don't want to, that's okay too. The fact that you're just listening to this episode means the world. Folks, please have a good rest of your week. And of course, go Giants.